Welcome to Project Lakuta Siches. We're going to be learning Siche Beis of Parshas Kisisa on page 394 in This is a Sicha on a Rashi in this week's Parsha, a very Gishmaka Sicha. Besides uh, being a Sicha on the Rashi, it's also a Sicha where the Rebbe will discuss the opinion of Rab Meir and Rab Yehuda and point out uh, Lishitose in their opinion, and other Machlekesen as well, as you have many times in the Rebbe Sichas, where he uh, draws a certain parallel in uh, a certain approach that they have in different cases that seem to be unrelated, but there's a certain general approach that they have that is expressed in different subjects. So here as well, we'll have this in this Sicha. So, as every Sicha, the questions and the diukim and the beautiful Hasbe here in uh, Rashi and this week's Parsha. Let's begin. So in the mitzvah, in this week's parsha, where it talks about preparing the Shemana Mishcha, this was the anointing oil that was used both to sanctify the Kalim of the Mishkan and the Kayanim as well. So there the Torah tells us what, uh, how this is made. And Nochen Oisrechenen, the Alam Mine Bissam, and the Smod Gedavt Hobim, Fan Shemana Mishcha. So after the Torah tells you exactly which roots and spices it included in order to produce a good aroma. So the Torah says, The oil, the amount of oil that's used is a hin. Is Rashi maitik hin. So Rashi brings from the Pasuk the word hin. On his mefadish, and Rashi explains as follows. Yud beis lugin. How much is a hin? It's 12 lug. Which is... In uh, contemporarily speaking, somewhere between 12 to 21 ounces. Not a lot of oil. So the Nechluku by Chachme Yisrael, there's an argument amongst Chachme Yisrael. Rab boy sholku What do they do with this oil? They boiled all the spices and roots mentioned earlier in the Pasik in this oil. It's not even enough, this amount of oil is not even enough to pour it over these spices, to smear it, to smear these spices with this oil. It's a very small amount of oil in comparison to the large amount of spices that the Pasuk mentions before. So, therefore he says, they didn't use it to boil the oil. What they did with all the spices and roots was, they soaked it in water, and then it absorbed the water, and then and then it will not absorb oil. He poured the oil on top of these spices, and you leave the oil there until it absorbs the smell. And then the and then you skim off the oil from these spices, and you have this oil with this uh, good aroma that it got from the spices. So this is the machlekes here between Rab Meir and Rab Yehuda. What was the purpose of this oil? How did they make this anointing oil? Either they boiled it with the, they boiled the, all the spices in this oil, or it was just used to pour on the oil and to get the aroma, and then they skimmed it off. The question here is, darkish or Rashi is, the way Rashi always brings his pshat on apostik is, if he's explaining two different subjects which relate to the same word, so he divides it, explaining each subject in a separate Dibra Maschel. So why here is Rashi explaining two different points in one Rashi? Aleph, the Mos Funim Shemen, Yud Beis Lugin. First Rashi explains the translation of the word Hin, the amount that a Hin is 12 Lugin. It's one subject Rashi explains. And Beis, that Oifin vimot gemachti Shemana Mishcha. And then Rashi explains exactly what was done with this Shemana Mishcha and how exactly was it prepared. As by Sholku, one opinion that they boiled the spices in it, or they hate Sephalena Shemana, or they just poured the oil on top of the spices. In themselves, so both of these subjects are explained in the same Rashi. O Befrat, as Rashi, one, schreibt, v'nechluku b'cholu metavava maisif, Rashi says, when he brings the details of the argument of how it was made, so he says, meaning that this argument is connected to the amount of oil that was mentioned before. And two is, 
Rashi emphasizes that boy in other words, he just mentioned this oil and the amount of oil that it was, 12 lugin, and then he immediately says, and regarding this amount of oil, there's an argument in them him shemen, referring to this amount that he just mentioned. Nit boy sholku, and Rashi is not just telling you boy sholku that they boiled this oil alts pidish from vasisa vashtet and pasuk shalachrov as an explanation to what the pasuk begins in the next pasuk to explain exactly how it was made vasisa. But rather Rashi brings it here as a continuation to where he explains the what the amount was, and then on that he says boy that in this there's an argument how it was made. So why does Rashi do that? There's also some questions in the way Rashi presents these two opinions. Aleph, the first question is, Rashi gives an introduction before he says both opinions. There's an argument amongst the wise, the sages of Yidin. The fact that Rashi first prefaces that there's an argument here So many times, and the Rebbe explains this, whenever Rashi tells you before he brings two opinions, that there are two opinions about this, the reason is This clarifies that both Shatim brought in this Rashi are equal. They're both equally presented as far as an alternative how to learn the Pshat and the Pasik. One is not better than the other. On the Ragdome, Volt given Mashma, as the Erster Pirish was Rashi brained, is the Erster Echbemaila. Usually, otherwise, if Rashi wouldn't give you that introduction, so why would Rashi quote one Pshat first and another one second? Because the first is the better Pshat, the second one comes second. So if, if that's if one is quoted first. So in order to indicate that the two pshatim here are actually the same, so Rashi tells you there are two pshatim here. So that we understand. So Zabanit move on. The question, however, is what's Rashi is There's an argument over here amongst the wise, the Chachme Yisrael. Why does Rashi use this expression, which is unusual? Is Rashi here negating that this is an argument amongst the Chachomim, the Chachme Yisrael, and not the Chachme Yisrael? And Rashi does not use Usually Rashi would say Our teachers, our Rebbes, doesn't say this term here, Chachme Yisrael. So what is that telling you? Bayes, another question is, why is Rashi quoting the names? Rashi doesn't usually not quote, does not quote any names in the Pshatim that he brings. In those places where he does quote the names is because the names, looking at the opinion of those two individuals, looking at something that they said elsewhere, it gives you a deeper understanding or a clarification regarding the pshat that they say. So what is that over here when Rashi quotes Rab Meir and Rab Yehuda? Gimel, a third question here is, Nochstak is the diik in them. So really this question we're asking about the fact that these two names, Rab Meir and Rab Yehuda, is mentioned, is even a stronger question here as follows. Because in Bavli, is the gear says, Rab Yehuda, Zok Shalkim Baisekrim, it's Rab Yehuda the one that said, that they boil the roots, the spices. And Rabbi Yaisi, the one that argues with Rabbi Yehuda, is Rabbi Yaisi Zak, Shayrin Asikrim Bemayim, that they first soak the roots in water, and then a metzifal of shemen, the kailat asarech, the kipcha, and then they pour the oil and then skim off the oil. So the argument is between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yaisi, not Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. On Rashi Klaipdais, the Gersa from Yerushalmi, and Rashi is specific in choosing a Gersa from Yerushalmi, which is uh, not usual if you have a Bavli and Yerushalmi, so it's more common to quote from the Bavli. So Rashi is quoting from the Yerushalmi. As Rab Meir Rab Meir is the one that says that they boiled the uh, Ikrim in this oil. And Rab Yehuda is the one that says that they soaked it in water first in order to be able to afterwards pour the oil on it. So there's really two things that Rashi is doing different than our Gemara. First of all, regarding Rabbi Yehuda's opinion. The opinion of Rabbi Yehuda in the Bavli is saying, Shalkin Asikrin, 
And in the Yerushalmi, the way Rashi quotes it, Rabbi Yehuda is the one that says, Sharum Bamayim. So Rabbi Yehuda's opinion is switched. And then, the difference that in the Bavli it says, Rabbi Meir is the one that argues. And, the, and sorry, in the Bavli it says, Rabbi Yaisi is the one that argues. And in the Yerushalmi it says that it's Rabbi Meir the one that argues. So why is Rashi choosing to quote this Machlekes specifically the way it says in Yerushalmi? Siv Gimel. So regarding the first question we asked there, So the question was, why does Rashi bring two different subjects in the same Debra Maschal? The amount of what a hin is, and then how this oil was prepared. So Rashi brings it in the same Rashi for a very simple reason. After Rashi tells you the amount of what a hin is, that it's only 12 lug of oil, so this is what leads to the next question, the next point that Rashi discusses. Sorry about that. Azam Mos Shemen is the Chzeye Klein in Faglaich zum Ribui Godel von der Bissamen, was then in Genutz geworden mit dem Shemen. This amount of oil for these roots and spices, there's a very small amount of oil that's being used for them. Heind wie is Shaykh, as Nachtem so bleiben Shemen from Mishchas Kedesh, und noch Chzeye viel, also Meshachte bei Israel, Meidgeim, how they can have enough oil. And not only have oil, but enough oil to use it to anoint all of the kalim and the oil mayid and the kayanim. How are they going to have enough oil? That's the question here. The farm was Rashi Gleich Mamshach Zainum Breng in the days, was her clarin via Zaisis given the Asiyas Shemar Amishcha. So therefore, Rashi has to immediately explain how exactly this oil was prepared. Because the question comes up right here. Move on. However, so now looking at the two opinions that Rashi brings there, so you have a very obvious question. So if that's the only reason why Rashi brings up this subject right here, because it's, the amount of oil seems to be too small, so who's answering that question? Only Rabbi Yehuda. That they actually first soaked it in water, in order that it shouldn't absorb the soil. So that... Uh, Corrects this issue, this it'll have enough oil. Oh, but let Rab Meir blight the kasha. According to Rab Meir, it remains a question. Um, Virashi bring gleich them up from Rab Yehuda. So Rashi brings immediately the question that Rab Yehuda himself asked on Rab Meir's opinion. How could you say that you boil the oil and the spices in this oil if it's not even enough oil to smear all these uh, spices with? On the phone to the Tmiye Gedayla and Pirish Rashi. So this brings us to the real question that there is here, obviously, in this Rashi. Really difficult to understand what Rashi is doing. Rashi bring the shit of Rab Meir as by Shalko Seikra. He does quote the opinion of Rab Meir that they, that they uh, boil the spices in this oil. On take it the Kashi from Rab Yudayfim. Immediately, the question, and Rashi doesn't give any answer. So what's going on here? Why is Rashi even bringing this opinion? If this opinion has no answer, it shouldn't be quoted at all. We can't say Rashi is bringing Rav Meir only to refute his opinion. So then Rashi would never quote this opinion if it has no place. So Rashi quotes this opinion, the two opinions here, only because he's looking to answer the question that there's not enough oil, and he's quoting an opinion that does not answer it at all. The question goes further. As Rashi is pointed out before, Rashi gives the introduction that there's an argument amongst Chachmi Yisrael. So Rashi is emphasizing by that. As nit nor vet is nit or kasha. So it's not only that Abmei's opinion will not be refuted by Rabbi question, nor Both of these opinions are equally accepted as far as the Prat of the Pasik is concerned. How could that be? If Rabmeir's opinion is obviously refuted as Rashi quotes Rabbi Yudis question, and Rashi doesn't quote any answer, so then how could it be that they're both equally accepted in Pshutashul Mikra? In Bavli, So the Gemara actually addresses this further, and there it brings as Rabbi Yehuda that 
The Gemara brings there that there was an answer that was given to this question. The Gemara has the different gear said that it was Rabbi Yehuda that gave an answer to Rabbi Yaisi on the question that he asked that it's not enough of oil to boil the spices in this oil. And he said as follows, Was there only one miracle that occurred with this anointing oil? The amount is only 12 lug. Mishkan, the Kalov, Aaron, Uvanov, and there was enough to anoint all of this, and Vakulikain Losadlove, and in fact it also will have remaining to be in the future when Mashiach comes. Thus haste, as by the Asias Hashemen is Takegishenanes, and the Shemen is nit eingesapt geworden in the Yikrin. The miracle occurred and the oil did not get absorbed in the spices when it was boiled, when it, when it was boiled in the oil. So that's the answer, it's a miracle. In Pirish Rashi of it. However, in Rashi, we can't say that this is Rashi's intention here. Rashi doesn't mention or even allude to the fact that there was a miracle here. Actually, even more so. It seems that Rashi clarifies later that to understand what he's saying here is not based on a miracle. From them was Rashi Zok Shpeter. So later, when the Pasuk says that this oil is going to be used in future generations, so Rashi says, It's from here that the Chachamim learned, our Rebbe's learned, that this will be Kayam even in the future. Up until that Pasuk, there's no room, there's no source to say that there was a miracle. There, in that Pasuk, there we see this unbelievable miracle that it'll be even lost Lavoy. But not until there, it's only Mikan. So, we're back to our original question. What's the reason that Rashi is quoting the opinion of Rabbi Meir here, if his opinion is totally refuted? So we must conclude. As Rashi Nemton, as Lishitis Rabmeye, is Lachatchilin, it's Shver, the Shailafun of Yehuda, Vahalei Lossachulu. That for whatever reason, as the Rebbe will soon explain, on Rabmeye's opinion that they boiled the spices in this oil, there is no question at all. So if so, is Nit Movon, if not, a question will be in the reverse. Aleph, eh, well, first of all, the question is, as we said before, Lachayre is Doashtarke Kushye in Pashtus Advarim. It is a question. It's a very simple and obvious question. When you learn Gemara, so the Gemara gives an answer that there was a Ness. But in the Psukim and in Rashi, there is no hint for this. So this is actually an even stronger question, according to Rashi. So that question, as we asked before, obviously has to be answered. And Beis, only Idok, but now the question is in reverse. As the teretz of them is as zoi poshet as adaf is garnered bavaranin. If in fact Rashi holds that the explanation of Rabbi Meir's opinion is so obvious, and that's why Rashi doesn't even bother answering Rabbi Yehuda's question on his opinion, so why is he even quoting the question of Rabbi Yehuda in his chat? It's not a question for whatever reason. It's not a question. So why is he even quoting that question? So. This is the story here. We have to explain what's going on in this Rashi. We have an argument that's broader, and Rashi is clarifying that both opinions are equal. And at the same time, he's quoting an opinion that seems to not make sense at all in the Pshat of the Pasik, using so little oil to boil these spices in them. The beer in them, the explanation here is as follows. The Shitta Srabmeir. So let's begin with Srabmeir's opinion, which we have the question on it. That what do they do with the spices? They boiled it in this oil. There's no question over here at all that the so little oil and it's not enough oil to even pour it on this, uh, to, to smear it on this uh, ikrin. It's not a question at all. Why not? Is the shemen nivla gvarnen zei? According to Rab Meir, it does not matter that if you boil the spices in this oil, then what's going to happen? The oil is going to get totally absorbed in the spices. You'll have no oil left. So according to Rashi, that doesn't matter. Why not? While er halt as the shemen amishcha had nitkemus zayin shemen farzich. This oil that was made, it wasn't supposed to remain oil for itself, just oil. Nor tzamim miti They boiled it. And the ikrin 
dissolved, and together the oil and the ikrin was what made up this special anointing oil. If you boil these spices and roots long enough in this oil, so what's going to happen? The roots are going to dissolve and are going to become a thick liquid together with the oil. So by boiling for a very long time, so then it'll become like a thick liquid. That's what happened according to Rav Meir. So yes, of course, it's true that uh, it's going to get absorbed in the... Uh, Ikrin, and to have oil separately after you're boiling them, you're going to have very little oil, or maybe none at all, after boiling it in these uh, ikrin. But at the point is, you don't need oil separately after you boil it. It gets absorbed, and actually the ikrin, the roots themselves, dissolve, and then it becomes this thick liquid. Now, the question is, but in the Pasik we're referring to this oil as oil, anointing oil. On should be poured, should be sprinkled. But however, since these roots are being boiled in the oil, and not just cooked, but when it uses the term shelkan, it means very strongly cooked, cooked very well. That's the difference between the term bishul and the term shaylik, to cook very well. Cooking it for a very long time, so it dissolved. It wasn't any more spices. It dissolved. And it also became like a liquid. So that was the process according to Rav Meir. To take the ikrin, boil it in the oil, and to dissolve the ikrin, to have a thick liquid. Oh, but Rav Yehuda will learn it. However, Rav Yehuda does not agree to this. That it does have to be oil. If the Torah refers to it as oil, so then, even after you're done preparing it, it has to remain oil. And not that it should be, the majority of it, these spices that were melted. That becomes a thick liquid. When it's cooked, and cooked very long together. So that's the point of Rabbi Yudah. His main point and his question is that the Torah refers to that as oil. And if it's going to be oil, so then how is it possible to say that you boil it? What they did is they soaked the ikrim in water so it shouldn't absorb the oil. And then the kipchul is shemen me'al ha'ikrim. They poured the oil in order to receive the good aroma, but then they skimmed off the oil from the spices, and it just remains oil separately. That's the point of Rav Meir, of Rav Yehuda's opinion. So we see here that the point of their argument is, what, what, what was this? Was this a thick liquid that was with the ingredients all mixed together and dissolved into creating this thick liquid? Or no, just oil that was just receiving this aroma, but otherwise it was, it was oil. So this explains, even though on one hand we just said, based on this, the question of Rabbi Yehuda is not a question at all. Rabbi Meir had a different approach, so the, really Rabbi Yehuda's question is not a question. But however, now we can understand, he does bring his question, and he quotes the question, it wouldn't even be enough to smear the ikrin with this oil. Why is he quoting the question and why is he quoting it in this way? So here in the parentheses, the Rebbe explains that really the question of Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir should be even stronger. What happened to, this, to the oil? It should be totally absorbed in the spices. It wasn't used to smear it. So if it gets absorbed, so then there's no oil left. So why wouldn't Rabbi Yudah ask an even stronger question? If you're saying that it gets absorbed and it becomes this thick paste almost, so it's not even oil anymore. That's really what his question should be. So why is he using the term the answer is, by losuch is madgish, by, by quoting the question this way and, and saying that, you, that for, for smearing it, it's not enough, so that emphasizes, as the zach medvelech me'isach is tofel, u'botl legamri tzu de zach vos me'isach, ikrin. 
when you use one substance, or in this case oil, to smear another substance, in this case the ikrin, so the term sah means that it's secondary. It's just smearing it, smearing the ikrin, but it's not at all something that it's important for itself. So that's really the main basis of Rabbi Yehuda's question. Rabbi Yehuda is telling Rabbi Meir, if you're saying that you're going to just boil it together, and what happens to the shemen is, it becomes a paste, and the shemen is the, the much less in the ingredients here, comparing to all the amount of ikrin that there are, so yeah, therefore how can we call it shemen? That's the point of his question. So how does he express that question? By saying losuch. Losuch points out that you're turning this oil into something which is totally secondary. So if it's something which is secondary, so why are you calling it oil? It's a secondary ingredient. So if it becomes bottle, that's what sach expresses, that it's only something which is smeared on something else, which is the main component. So how could it still have the name oil? So by Rashi quoting this question, we can see what the basis of these two opinions are. Rav Meir says it doesn't matter that it's not called oil. The Torah Takah says Shemana Mishcha, but it just means that it became this paste or this thick liquid that was mixed with Shemen together with the other ingredients. That's uh, the paste that they had. Rav Yehuda says, no, it has to be Shemen. It has to be oil. And that's the question that he's asking, that you can't say that the oil is a secondary ingredient here. So what's the basis of their argument? So if you look in the very next Pasuk here, we can see it. In Pasuk state, You should prepare this anointing oil. A mixture. Uh, made, made as a mixture. It should be the holy anointing oil. So if you look here in the Pasuk, the says as an endon them halakim zmanim. So looking at the words of this Pasuk, you see here two different parts or two different times. Aleph, on one hand, Bishas Maisa, when you make this oil, what does the Pasuk say? Vasisa Isa, Isa, dem shemen zayis. How do you prepare? How do you make this oil? Raikach Merkachas Masarikeach. The Taita is referring to it as a mixture. What does a mixture mean? That, that it becomes the ingredients mixed together. Anasiyah in dem shemen in an oifim from merkachas. There's something that you're doing with the oil to mix it together with the other ingredients, with the roots and spices. The Rashi ties this up, as Rashi there says, when you have two ingredients that are mixed with one another, when one is taking and getting the effect of the other, whether by an aroma or the taste, that's a merkachas, a mixture. So, the simple meaning of a mixture is that these two ingredients, the oil and the spices, are being mixed. That's one part of the pasuk. When you, when you prepare it, when you make it. But then afterwards, what does the pasuk conclude? After you're done preparing it, it should remain oil. It should still be oil. Taita repeats again. That it should be oil. So here's the difference between Rab Meir and Rab Yehuda and Velocha Prat from the Tzvei is the Ikat Gosha. So which two of these parts that the Pasuk is saying here is the main emphasis. The way Rab Meir describes how this is prepared. So the preparation of this oil, what was done with the oil, the ingredients that was added to it and the mixture, so that was done fully. When, you, when do you really integrate and fully mix two ingredients with one another? When they're placed in a pot and are cooked together, and in this case, very cooked very well together, and it becomes a thick paste. So to fulfill this part of the Pasuk fully, what is going to be done? has to be done in a way that they cook these spices and together in the oil, so it becomes one thing. Although the conclusion of the Pasuk, that it should be oil, is not fulfilled fully, because it is still oil, but not oil alone. It's oil together with the other ingredients. But according to Rabbi Yehuda, 
according to the Rabneya, that is, the first part of the Pasuk, the way it's prepared in the beginning, that's the main emphasis, that that should be done fully. By preparing it according to the way he describes, that you first have to soak the, the, the spices in water, so it shouldn't absorb the oil, and then you remove the oil from it. So the oil remains separate. Is the asiyah b'shemen manid v'hetziv v'kipchay? So the fact what, what you do with the oil by mixing it together with the other ingredients, with the roots, is just by pouring it over it and leaving it there for some while and then taking it off. On merkachas davar amore b'chaveira is nit b'shleimus. It's not really a mixture at all. I mean, it's some, somewhat of a mixture. It gets the aroma of it, but it's definitely not a full mixture. You're not boiling it together with the spices. However, the result afterwards, when, what, what do you have? You have oil, just oil. The conclusion of what the Pasik says, you have oil. It's totally oil and separately. It has the aroma of the spices, but it's oil. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, the second part of the result of what you have in the end, that's fulfilled fully. So since, when you look in the simple chart of the Pasik, there's no clarity which one of these two parts of the Pesukim is more important to be fulfilled fully. That it should be a mixture, or that it should be oil alone. So therefore Rashi brings, before he says, the two opinions, And with this Rashi is emphasizing that both opinions here regarding how this oil is prepared are equal in the Pshat of the Pasik, because as you see in the next Pasik, there's the two parts of what do, what do you focus on mainly? To have it fully prepared properly as a merkachas, or to have the result later properly that it should still be oil alone. Why Rashi is pointing out that this is an argument amongst Chachme Yisrael. While the two days from Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda and Oifn Asiyas Shemer Amishcha, their argument regarding how you prepare this oil, spiegeln up two verschiedene Ifanim, wie es kann sein, der Zugang von Eden zu Kiyum Hamitzvus. This reflects two different approaches that you can have when it comes to fulfill a mitzvah. When you have this kind of a doubt, what you should focus on, Vida ban Kiyum Atzivi von Vasisa Shemen Goimer. As in this case, when you have the two different parts, the beginning, how you prepare it, and the end result. Where and which part of the, which one of these two parts should you put the main emphasis to fulfill it fully? So when you have a similarity in another case, in another mitzvah, when you have such a kind of a question, what do you focus on? So this is a general question that could come up by other mitzvahs. On the fad is this aplukte from Chachme Yisrael. This is a general argument of Chachme Yisrael that applies in other places. Do you look at fulfilling it fully and properly now in the present, the way it is in the beginning? Although it will be lacking in its fullness later in the end result. Other or the opposite. The main emphasis that where it should be fully properly is at the end result in the end and what you're going to have for the future and forever. Even if that will be compromising on the way you're preparing it in the beginning and presently and not totally, not fully. So that this is a very general question when you have mitzvahs that should you focus on the present and doing things the way things have to be done now, even though it may compromise on another mitzvah in the future or the other way around. One of the examples that the Rebbe brings in Ha'ara 16 is regarding a person that will have a difficult time fasting on Yom Kippur if he fasts in Sem Gedalia, which is only about a week before Yom Kippur. So should you say that today I have an obligation to fast in Sem Gedalia, so I have to go according to the present? Or should I say no, but if that will compromise on your Chiv Menatele to fast on Yom Kippur, so you can't fast today, you have to keep in mind what's going to be in a week. 
and therefore do not fast today, so you should be able to fulfill your mitzvah and atayda to fast in Yom Kippur. And, and there's another example that ever brings there. There's many examples you have where this could be applied to fulfillment of different mitzvahs. So, so this is also the root of their argument in our case. In the Tzivi from the Meibishen is Leipidish Madinai, from the Prati Aifani Asiyas Hashemen. So over here, the Tzivi says two different details, and it's not very clear, specified in the Pasik, exactly how this oil is prepared. Nor Bechlalos, it's written in general terms, Vasisa Merkachas, it's telling you that it should be a mixture, and then it also says that the end result should be that you should have oil. So in such a case, when the Torah writes a mitzvah, and it's described in these general terms, the Torah is leaving it up to the Chachamim to spell out what the Torah is saying. Like you have in so many mitzvahs where the Torah writes the mitzvah in general terms, and it leaves it up to the Chachamim to tell you and spell out all the details. So here as well, the Chachamim... It's left to them to spell out what the process of preparing this oil is. And here's the argument, what's the main thing you focus on? When it comes to preparing the oil. So right now, you have to fulfill what it says in the Pasuk to prepare the oil. Right now, as they're preparing it, so they have to prepare it and, doing, and, and do it fully the way the Pasuk describes it. As is davzayim va'asisa oisay to do something with the oils, not just to pour it, but something should be done with it. On merkachas that it has to be mixed. On the faris by Therefore, he says they boil the, the roots and spices in this oil. So you focus on what you have to do right now. Chach sevesh fell in in the shpete digetitzav from mishchas kaidishia. Even though this will compromise the fulfillment of having the oil later. You're not going to have oil separately. So that's Rav Meir's approach. You focus on the present, right now, when I begin to prepare it. This is the main thing I have to focus on, to fulfill it and do what the Pasuk is telling me right now. When you begin to prepare it right now, you have to keep in mind what's the final result that you want to bring in the, in the future. On the far... And therefore you cannot say that they boil the roots in this oil. Because that will, that will compromise the fulfillment of the final result of having oil separately. They first soak the roots in water. Even though you're not really mixing it fully. You're, you're allowing it to absorb water in order that it should not absorb the oil. The far is But then, in the final result, in the future, in the end, you will have the oil fully. So that's the basis of their argument. So we can see here that where the argument comes from in the Psukim, and also how this is not just a specific argument here, but it's really a very general argument that could be applied in many different cases. And Rashi brings their names, and also Rashi chooses specifically this version. As Rebbe pointed out in the beginning of the Sikha, and not in the reverse, and not Rabbi Yesi. Because there's another Machlekes that has been quoted before by Rashi, between Rabmei and Rabbi Yudah. And we'll see that in that Machlekes, that's a different, completely different subject. However, we can see how the same line of thinking, the same concept applies there, and therefore over here, it's the same Achleikis to Rabbi Meir Yudah. And there, Rashi, interestingly, says the same introduction. So it's so meduyik that even though this is an unusual expression, Rashi doesn't use it, but in these two places where he quotes Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yudah, he uses this term, meaning that this is a general machlekes and a general approach that Rab Meir and Rab Yudah had. So where did Rashi quote it before? When it comes to a renter, a person that's renting uh, any uh, object from someone. So Rashi says in Parshish Mishpatim as follows. 
Pirish Madinai. The Pasik does not say what is the responsibility of a renter. In Kishemachinam, is there responsibility to guard the object like a Shemachinam that does not get paid for guarding an object? One is Mukhuyev Narif Apshia. So a Shemachinam is only responsible for any negligence. Or does he have a higher level of responsibility like a shamer, like a guard that is being paid to guard an object? And he has to pay and he's responsible even for if the item got stolen or lost. And then Sarashi concludes, So does the argument between the Chachmi Yisrael, What is the responsibility of a renter? Rav Meir says he's only responsible like a Shemachinam, but Rav Yehuda says he's responsible like a Shemachinam. So what is the basis of their argument? So the Rabbi here will explain beautifully how the argument there is based on the same concept as it applies here regarding how the oil for the Shemen Amishcha was prepared. So first, let's try to understand their argument on a very simple level. In Pashtus, Zen and Zayir so in, it's looking at this simply, the basis of their argument is as follows. Rabbi Yehuda halt, that a renter is like a guardian that's being paid, a guard that's being paid, because he, he's a renter, so he's using the axe, for example, that he has. So the fact that he's allowed to use it is sort of a reward, sort of a payment for this that he has to guard it, for his responsibility to guarding it. So the reason why Hashem Yisachar has a higher level of responsibility is because he's being paid for this. He's getting something for his guarding it. It's the same with the renter. The renter is getting the rights, the ability to use it, and therefore he has a higher level of responsibility like the Hashem Yisachar. However, Rabmeir's opinion is, as we balt at salt for Zayna no, yes, of course he could use it, but he, isn't he paying for that? He's a renter, he's paying for that. So you can't say that he's getting rewarded for his responsibility to guard it. Oh, the fact that he can use it, that he's paying for. He's a renter. So it comes out that the fact that he's guarding it, he's not getting paid for that. That's a responsibility that should be like a shaymechinam, that he's only responsible for obshia, for negligence, not more than that. That's the simple understanding of their argument. So from these two opinions, which opinion has to be further clarified? Rabbi Yehuda's opinion. Rabbi Yehuda's opinion that he's like a Shem Yisachar is not understood. That's what Rabbi asks him. Ulochayr is nitfashtandik. Rabbi Yehuda's ta'am was said as nadama seiches to Shem Yisachar. So why does Rabbi Yehuda compare this renter to a Shem Yisachar? Das was a Shem Yisachar is nuchuyiv of gneva va'aveda. The reason a Shem Yisachar has a higher level of responsibility even for gneva va'aveda is das v'aler bakumt schar fazen shmire. He's specifically getting paid by the owner for a higher level of responsibility to guard it better. The owner is paying him. He's paying him in order to guard it better and therefore to be careful that it shouldn't be stolen or lost. So it's a specific payment that he's being given to guard it on a higher level. And you don't find it by a seicher. So when it comes to a renter, if he's renting an ox, so the fact that the owner gives the renter the permission to use it is a snitfar the shmira. That's not as a payment in order to demand from him a higher level of responsibility in his guarding. Nor from them schar for them nutzen because this is a business. He's renting this share and he wants to. He's getting paid for renting out this share. So that's why he's allowing him to use it, because it's a rental and he's getting paid for this. But he's, not, he's, not, he's never le- allowing him to use it in order to demand of him a higher level of responsibility. Where do we see that? So what's the reason to say that a seicher, a renter, should have a higher level of responsibility if he's not getting paid for guarding it on a higher level. So Rav Meir's opinion is very understood. A renter, yes, of course he has the right to use it, but he's paying for that. That's the point that Rebbe said before. In this paragraph, the Rebbe explains it even from the perspective of the owner. The owner is not paying this person in order to demand of him a higher level of Shemira. It's just a business. He's renting it him and giving this person the, the rights to use it because he wants to get paid for the rental. So what, what's the basis to say that the Shemir 
has a higher level of responsibility to guard it even from like a shame but not based on the way we explained before the opinions of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. The plukte from Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda is totally in their plukta, klolis, vases, machriach, other This is based on their general argument where they have uh, regarding the approach when you have a, a, a suffix. Should you look at the present or should you look at the future? So that plays into the case of a renter as well. And the Rebbe explains, If you just look at the present, and that the owner, when he's renting this ox, is just looking at the present of what he's doing right now. Looking at the present, what's the main intention of the owner? He wants to make money, he's renting his ox. He also, but as a secondary thing, he also wants his ox to be taken care of and uh, guarded properly so that it should be returned to him when the rental is over. But the main point he wants is to earn money through this rental. Dandarv Zayn, so if you look at the present and what his main intention right now is, so then the conclusion should be as the masker sich euch when the It's the masker would be satisfied even if the renter will guard his his axe or his object not with a higher level or more unusual level of guarding it like a person that gets paid for this in order to protect it even from an unusual occurrence that might happen in the future it might get stolen or lost in the attitude of a owner that's renting something he'll be happy if he guards it with the regular level of guarding an object that you're renting just the regular responsibility that you have to guard an item that you're renting in order to return it is good enough. Looking at what's more common and looking at the present, the main focus of the owner that's renting this is to make money on this rental and he's not demanding an extra special kind of a level of a shmira. That's not his main focus, the shmira that he wants. It's a unique level of a shmira that knows how to guard this in a special way. It's just a rental. And the risk that giving it to a renter, that something might happen in the future and it's going to get lost or it's going to get stolen, that's not going to stop him from renting it to him. There's always a risk in a rental. But looking at what he's doing now in the present, he's satisfied with having the regular level of, of shmire that, that, that there is by Hashem Echina. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't, he wouldn't demand a special level of shmire. That wouldn't stop him. So according to Rav Meir, you look at the present right now, what's the main focus of this person, that's the owner that's renting? So, so we can conclude that the attitude of an owner when he gives something, when he rents something, is that he's relying on the regular level of shmire that there is by Hashem Echinam. However, Rabbi Yehuda's opinion is as the osid is machria legabe hoive, that we look at the future, and that's actually in sometimes even more important than the present. Is kozman the maskir is nit fazichet as the chayfitz vezayin opkiet b'shmirim uule va'ayfen as oichla osid zol the chayfitz zayin gans. So according to Rabbi Yehuda's opinion, the attitude. Of, um, of, a, of a masker, of the owner, when he rents an item, even though his main purpose is the business and the money that he's earning through this rental, however, he's thinking about the future. This is a rental and he wants to get it back and rent it again, and he's concerned about it being safe and secure for the future. So therefore, Rabbi Yehuda says, yes, it's true that in the present, his main focus is to rent it and not to hire a guard, but he's thinking about the future, that he wants to have this later again. And therefore he wants it to be protected properly. And if it's not going to be protected properly, that the nit mevatazayin of them, a fill it sleep the gelt, was a bakunta hoive. He will not 
uh, forego on this, that it should be properly protected, even though he's making money now, but he's also having a mind and thinking about what's going to be in the future. I'm going to rent it to a person that he, he might not be negligent, but he's not going to protect it properly, and that's it. I'm not going to see my item back again. After all, it's only a rental. He wants to get it back and rent it out again. So according to Rabbi Yehuda's opinion, yes, it's only a rental, but the owner is thinking about the future. And therefore, he does want that it should be a proper, uh, protected properly, like a shayim esachar. On vibald, as the seicher is nitkin shayim echinah. So now the fact is, so you're going to argue, okay, very nice, that's what the owner would want. But is he paying for that? So the answer is yes, in some way he is. Because since this renter is not a shayim echinah, he's not being given this item, being asked to do a favor, but tuta teves chinam der mafkid, Someone that's just doing a favor. So here the Torah says you can't demand more than the basic level of guarding it. Right? But over here, this person that's renting it is not just a, a, doing a favor. He's renting it and he's getting rights to use it. So in such a case, we say, the masker actually is relying that I'm not only giving it to you in order to use and enjoy, but I'm relying uh, on you to return it to me. It's only a rental. I'm thinking about the future that I want to get it back from you. And he is relying on it being safeguarded properly and not only like a shaymachinam where the guy is doing you a favor so you can't demand much. So that's the argument here. So we can see that the basis of their argument is do you look at the main point of what this deal between the two people is in the present? As far as the main deal between them is, it's a rental. And therefore, the guarding is not the main point there. So therefore, we can't expect a, a higher level of shmire. Or do we say no, that the owner is thinking of the future. He is future-minded. And therefore, since it's not a favor, I'm giving you the rights to use this. So therefore, I am expecting that you should be a mensch and actually guard it even better than you would be if you would just be doing me a favor. Now, the Rebbe brings us a third example. So this, this was the example that Rebbe brought to show that Rashi already brought this before in Parshish Mishpatim where he quoted Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda and therefore Rashi quotes here again the same names Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda and he chooses the version brought in Yerushalmi because this is the general Machlekes that explains better what, what's the basis of the two opinions in the Pshat of the Pasik here by the Shem and Amishcha that's similar to the case of the Seicher. Unbelievable, two completely unrelated cases, but the Rebbe shows us how there's a thread that runs between them. But here, there's a third case. Just to add additional explanation, to appreciate the fact that this Machlekes is a general approach of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda, we could apply this to a third case. Naitik, Nachanot, will bring another case, Vumigifint, Dizalba Machlekes, Vishen Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda where we find the same thinking and the same basis of the argument between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. The Rebbe seems to be alluding to the fact that if you look in the Gemara, you may find others, but just for the sake of this Sikha, we're going to bring one more to point out where you can find this. And that is in the Gemara Masech Brachis, which talks about the halacha of benching, zimun, when you have people that are benching together. And the question is, what's the amount of food that has to be eaten in order for them to be chayev to bench? At What's the amount that has to be eaten for them to be benching? Mezamnen is actually when people are benching together. Zimun. Rav Meir halt at kezayis. Rav Meir says the amount is a kezayis. Rav Yehudaim at kebeitze. Rav Yehudah says more than that a kebeitze. Is the Gemara maz bezeh machlekes? So the Gemara says what's the basis of their argument? As bekroi pligi. Their argument based on how do you interpret the pasuk? Rab Meir Sava, Rab Meir says, Va'achalta, so the Pasuk is, Va'achalta v'savato v'erachta. So Rab Meir says, you have to divide the Pasuk as follows. Va'achalta zu'achila. Va'achalta refers to what you eat, and on that the Pasuk is saying you have to bench. And then v'savato, when it says, v'savato, you're satisfied, that doesn't refer to eating, that's a separate thing. Zushtia, that refers to drinking. And then, Va'achila v'kezayis. So therefore, for achila alone, what's the, always the amount of what's considered to be eating? A kezayis. So therefore, you have to bench for a kezayis. Rabbi Yudhis' opinion is, you read the Pasuk together, you eat and you become satisfied. You have to eat enough, not only that it should be called an achila, which is a kezayis, 
It's an act of eating, but you actually have to be satisfied. When are you satisfied? Only if you eat more, the amount of a kebetza. That's the basis of their argument. However, Taisis there clarifies Pshat in the Gemara. As Hani Kroi, Asmachte Ba'alme Nino. These Psukim here are actually, Chachamim are just relying on the reading of this Pasik to show the two opinions, but it's not really the source of their opinions. The Medairaisa, Behina Sviya Gemura. Nina Teira, you're only Chayef to bench if you're actually satisfied. And Taisis there brings Rayas for this, and therefore the basis of their Machlekes is not an argument, Nina Teira. Nina everybody would agree that you're only Chayef to bench for a Kibetza. They're arguing, they're arguing regarding the Chiyav of benching with the Rabbana. So Muslim Zagin, as das was Yederer, Darshan ter Posik in Zayn Oifin, is das Mitzad di Rabbana, Mitzad Zayam Achleikis Biswara. So they're not actually arguing in how you read the Posik where you put the Kama. Everybody agrees that really you do read it together, Vachalta Visavata. But now, as far as the Takonim di Rabbana, for what you should be obligated to bench, that's what they're arguing about, and it's really an argument, Biswara. They're arguing they have different reasons of the approach of when a person should be chayav and benching, and they just relied it on the Pasik. Light Rab Meir, and here we come back to the point that we learned before. So according to Rab Meir, as that you look at the present, that voice coming, so it should be as follows. As right now you have the person ate a kazayas. He stopped eating. So what do you have right now? Right now he ate. It's an act of eating. Kazayas defines an act of eating. So right there, you should be chayev to bench in zimun. When we balta shir achilah bekezayis, the amount that defines eating is a kezayis. So therefore, Chachamim came and said that we could read this into the pasuk as well as their vachaltas and inyan bifneats. May read the word vachalta separately. Before you get to the End result, even if he stopped right there. So let's look at the present. He ate, it's an act of eating. And therefore, Rabbi Yudah says, he will be chayef to bench with Zimun right then. But on the other hand, Rabbi Yudah says, Rabbi Yudah says, no, let's look at the final result of what the eating accomplished. So the fact that right now he ate a kezayis, that's not good enough. Look at the result. What When he walks away from this, what does he have? We got to look at the outcome, the effect of his eating. The point of eating is to fill yourself. And then that, when you get full, when you get the energy of your food, that's what brings the obligation to bench. And therefore he says, you don't look at the beginning, but you look at the end result, which is the amount of a kebetzah. So we see again how their argument is based on the same line of thinking. Whether you look at the beginning, he ate a kezayis right then, and that should that be enough if he stops right there? Or should I say no? I look at the end result, which is when he's eating and he has uh, the, the result of him being full. Only then is he chayev to bench pezimah. So we have these three examples, but now the Rebbe will point out that each one of these three examples is different. They're not exactly the same, and therefore you would think that there's a difference between them, and therefore the argument is repeated in all three cases. Shengeret fil mal, it was spoken many times, then the gefin tamachleikis tzvishen tanoim and gedoli Yisrael b'chlal, if you find an argument between tanoim, or any gedoli Yisrael in general, in einun nezel b'svara, and they're arguing in the same idea, in et l'cherte, and they repeat their argument in a few places. So you must say that there's a reason why it's being repeated, to use the expression of the Gemara, tzricha. There's some novel point in each one separately. You would think that maybe here there's a reason to say that their general line of thinking, their general approach does not apply. And therefore it has to be repeated in each case again separately to say that no, they are arguing in the same approach in all three cases. So over here as well, we can see why they have to repeat the argument three times. Aleph, so coming to the first case, we're talking about how you prepare the Shemana Mishcha. This is a mitzvah. The Ebesha commands to do this. By the Ebesha, there is no time. Past, present, and future is all one. 
is Dr. Asid Shefaram Bahaiva. So if you you're beginning to fulfill the mitzvah of the Abishta, and right now you're preparing it, so the Birum to say, you can't say that what I'm doing now is now, and the result in the future that it won't be oil is afterwards. You're doing a mitzvah. And for the Abishter, the, the future is here now. And therefore, even doing the mitzvah right now, you have to be thinking now about the result that it'll be in the future. Especially the way that Tesefta describes time by the Abishter, the days and, and hours by the Abishter is like a, like a hair. It's all in the one and the same time. With the Ragachov is Das Mefarish. The Ragachov explains what the Tesefta really means. That this is Kinakuda. It's one point. It's not only that it's like in one, it's all condensed into one tiny point of time. It's much more than that. It's Kinakuda, which is Chelek She'enem Eschalek. A point that's actually above time, which is divisible. So by the Abishra, it's all in one Ekuda. So therefore, there's room to say that when you're fulfilling the mitzvah now, mitzvah of the Abishter, you should be thinking now about the result of what this mitzvah will be. But on the other hand, who fulfills the mitzvah? To who does the Abishter command the mitzvah to? To a yid here below, within the framework of time. But however, since it's fulfilling the Abishter's mitzvah, so it should be done on the Abishter's terms. From, from his perspective. From Debesh's perspective, everything is now. So therefore, the future of the result of the mitzvah is here now. So therefore, there'd be a swara to say that the reasoning of looking at the present or the future does not apply. So the Rebbe doesn't explain, but apparently, nevertheless, we say that since, after all, the mitzvah is being commanded to us here below, so a mitzvah is fulfilled in our terms over here in this limited world where time does exist. Bays now looking at the second argument. So over there, the Rebbe said the discussion was do we look at the present, the main point of the deal, that it's a rental, or do we look at the concern that the owner has for the future, that he wants it to be safeguarded properly? So now looking over there at the future, to say that the owner is concerned about the future. So he's concerned about a, a theft. Or a loss, that's not something which is certain. He is guarding it. He's guarding it at least like a Shaymachinam. So Akaponim Akaponim says So therefore, in a case where a person is not being negligent and he is guarding it, so that there might be a theft or a loss in the future is just a very far concern. Which is unlike the other two cases that I've mentioned regarding the oil and regarding the benching, the result of the oil based on how what you do now, and the question regarding your benching, where we talk about whether you look at now or the future, over there we're talking about certainties. We're not talking about probabilities of what might happen in the future. So maybe here, everybody would agree that you have to look at the present of what's certain right now. What's certain right now is that their deal is mainly a rental. The concern of the future, that's uncertain. So therefore, maybe everybody would agree we don't think about that. Nachmer, it goes even further. By Seicher is the Gneve Ba'asid. On the Schire, in the Schire Ba'ayve Ba'zundere Zachen. So in this case, when we're talking about the theft that could occur in the future and the rental, which is happening right now, these are two totally separate things. Right now we're dealing with a rental. A theft that may occur in the future is a totally separate incident that could happen. So from this I would not know, I wouldn't apply the same line of thinking regarding the oil and the same thing regarding the benching. Was their acid is their tachlis We're talking about the oil itself, not about another occurrence happening. This oil itself, preparing it now, what will be the result afterwards? It's almost like uh, in the case of the oil and the and the zimun. At least by the case of the oil, it's like a concept of pa'ula and nifal. The way I do it now, that will be the result automatically afterwards. Or regarding the benching, it's the, the question of whether my present state that there was an act of eating, does that suffice that you should be obligated in benching? But we're not talking about a different occurrence taking place. 
So in such a case, where there is no additional occurrence taking place, so maybe here everybody would agree that you do have to think about the future. But when you talk about a case where the future is a different development that could happen, so maybe over there it's different. Now going to the last case of benching, Gimel, if the argument would only be quoted in that case regarding benching, I would never apply the same line of thinking to the other cases. Why? does the Shaila, I would say that here the root of the question is, Vos is the gather from Achilash of the How do I define eating? What is eating? Eating is putting a speck of food into your mouth, or is eating putting a kazayas, or is eating the satisfaction that it goes hanos mayov, that it goes into your stomach and you become satisfied? It's simply a question of the definition of eating. It's not a question about present or future. It's not about the future or present. It's nothing to do with that. So therefore, the argument is quoted over here and in the other places. And from this, we can string together and see that there is one line of thinking. And even here, when it comes to the benching, their argument is based on this point. Do I say that if the guy ate a kazais right now and stops right then, so presently I have an act of eating, or do I say that, no, I have to look at the end result when he walks away. Does he have the satisfaction of the eating? It's the future. So it is based on the argument of Hoiva and Osset. Rebbe, Darfun, Dideis, And therefore, the arguments of Rabmei and Rabbi Yehuda has to be brought in all three places. So we have a beautiful, beautiful Hezbe here in the thinking of Rabmei and Rabbi Yehuda, L'shitosei. And the three cases, and the tzrichese that the, make, the Rebbe explains over here in the end of the sicha, is a word that I heard many years ago from Rabbi Yael. He said that there are many, many mefarshim that uh, often give hezbedim for arguments of Tanoim and Amiraim that there's a certain lishitase. But it's only the Rebbe that says a tzrichese in these arguments. Why is that? You say a pshat namachlaikis. And then you say, oh, I find a lishitase somewhere else. So it's a nice pshat. Is that what they were actually saying? This is what they actually meant? You found, you found some nice pshat that you could stick into their opinion to say that the, this is what the, it fits with what they're saying. The Rebbe is saying that this is what Rabbi Meir of Yudah is arguing about. This is what they were saying. By Shem and Mishchas Kaidesh, they were arguing about Hoiven Asit. That's the pshat. That's what they were saying. It comes to the Machlekes regarding a Seicher. They're repeating the same thing again. And then they're preening it a third time. So therefore the Rebbe says, it's not a pastama pshatl, but this is the pshat and their argument.